Hello and happy Wednesday. For those of you in America, happy Thanksgiving <laughs> Eve. <laughs> it, it's Thanksgiving Eve and, and this is the day where we start considering what needs to go in the oven when. <laughs> and if you haven't taken the turkey out of the freezer. Too late. Too late. Too late. Make tacos instead. It's <laughs> oh, probably what we're doing. Oh my gosh. It's so funny. Let's tell turkey stories. I, I, I don't really care for the, the, the turkey meal all that much. That doesn't really, I'm not a meat and potatoes kind of, of girl, but what I do love is the leftover turkey meat to be able to make turkey enchiladas or turkey tacos. Uh, so that's, that's my favorite part of the food anyway, is the, um, the, the leftovers but I love cranberries. What's your favorite thing about Thanksgiving? Uh, you know, when our kids were little, we always celebrated over tacos or and Chinese later in the evening. So, <laughs> not not the common American yeah. theme, but delicious. No, um, I, I think leftovers are probably. I like turkey sandwiches. Turkey sandwiches. That's yeah. that's my thing after after Thanksgiving uh, when I was younger, but yeah, we don't really do the traditional Thanksgiving thing. So yeah, yeah, we have um, we have our very own pie maker. So um, <laughs> we're going to, from my understanding, we're going to have uh, copious amounts of pie <laughs> tomorrow, <laughs> homemade. Yeah. just from scratch so i mm -hmm. i am excited about that i love pumpkin pie once a year and um and you I'm know we get supplied around here with pumpkin chocolate chip muffins all the time so pretty close to the same taste pretty close to the same thing with chocolate yes. chips, so. i just i have to reserve pumpkin for thanksgiving it is just uh. It's just my thing. Like, it doesn't taste the same unless it's on Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I do enjoy making a turkey. I do enjoy making a turkey. It's always this um, challenge for me. Like, how, how tender and juicy can I make a turkey? Which is a challenge for everyone, if we're honest. Mm -hmm. um, because a dry turkey is just what's the point? Yeah. What's the point? So we're going to put the turkey on tonight, cook it all night long at a low temperature and it should be nice and tender in the morning. That's the hope. Anyway, everybody pray for my turkey. I will pray for your turkey. If you will Blessings pray for upon your turkey. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, should we just jump right in? Well, let's do that. The topic, um, House of Repentance, Reconciliation, and Restoration, Restoration. is is the, the title that we've given this. And um, for good reason, for good reason. If you're paying any attention to church news, um, you know, we, we have a, a house of prayer in our region that is up in flames right now. Not literally, people, but uh, if you know anything 
about world leaders, as far as the church is concerned, you are aware of what's going on in our region. And, and no, it's not in Kansas. Let me give you a geography lesson. Kansas City does not mean Kansas. Actually, the majority of Kansas City is in Missouri. <laughs> but the vast majority of it. Exactly. There's a very small portion of it. In fact, we have three daughters that live in Kansas City and only one of them lives in on the Kansas side. So there you have it. There's your geography lesson for today. Um, however, we do know that what is happening um, there in, in Missouri, it does affect our region. And, um, and, and I'm not necessarily viewing this as a, a completely negative thing. Do I like what's happening? Absolutely not. I am not in agreement whatsoever. I'm just saying. I can see with my spiritual eyes what it is that, that God is perhaps doing through all of that. And we have a shift that's taking place in prayer. And, and I truly believe that 2024 is going to be all about prayer. And, and God isn't just after a house of prayer as we've known it. He's after repentance, reconciliation, and redemption. The three R's. Restoration. It's restoration. Redemption, restoration. Maybe I should add a fourth R. Maybe. Because I seriously want to interchange them. <laughs> but what does that have to do with prayer other than everything? I, I think that, that we have spent so much time praying in our physical realm and, and not really paying attention to whether or not our, our prayers are having effect. And, and I think that that's where we need to become a little more mindful of, and the shift, and we've talked about this. I believe that the shift is from a Levitical stance of praying to that high priesthood that, that Jesus put on display that we, we see through the line of Melchizedek. And, and I, I think that it's, it's going to look far more like the, like the, the tribe of Judah than that of, of Levi. And it, it will be a, a radical difference from what we're, what we're used to. And so intercession, I believe will take on a whole new appearance in, in the coming year, which we need. Our houses of prayer need a facelift. And um, and I think that really like the invitation is to, to enter in to a realm of prayer, into a realm of intercession that we could meet each other. We can meet one another in spiritual realms and, and no longer be content to, to be in a physical space and, and, <clears throat> and feel like your prayers are not getting anywhere, like not making it through the ceiling. So I think that, that those are going to be some of the things that, that we can expect to, to happen in the coming year. So um, we, are, we are in Isaiah 58, if you're following along in, in your Bible. And um and, and I just feel like, you know, it, we've got to pay attention to to some of these things that, that God lays out so very clearly in Scripture, because there is a, a prescri prescribed way of 
doing things in the kingdom. And, and Isaiah 58 just lays it out perfectly. If you are, you know, in, in a fasting and prayer lifestyle, it's, it's laid out beautifully right here. So let's just, let's just read through this again. If you're following along, we're in Isaiah 58. Cry loudly. Do not hold back. Cry loudly. Do not hold back. See, I think right there in those first few words, (laughs) the majority of us are lost because our, our prayers are very hushed. And, and whispered and sometimes only felt and never actually leave our minds. And, and, and oftentimes I think our prayers come out in tears and, and we, we, we never get to the point of vocalizing them. And, and here he's saying, cry loudly, do not hold back. God wants to hear from us. He wants to hear our passionate petition. Raise your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me day by day and take delight in knowing my ways. Like a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God, they ask me for righteous judgments. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted? And yet you do not see. Why have we afflicted our soul? And yet you do not acknowledge. Indeed, on the day of your fast, you find a light and oppress all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for contention and strife and to strife with a fist of wickedness. You do not fast in the way you do today to make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I I choose the day when a man afflicts his soul? Is it for bowing his head like a rush and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as his bed? Will you call this a fast and an acceptable day to Jehovah? Is this not the fast that I choose to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke and to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Okay, I think we should pause. That's a whole lot. That's a whole lot. God is really like he's coming against the way the tradition and the rituals of man and what prayer and fasting, what what a prayer and fasted lifestyle has become for the people of Israel. And, And he's like, what good is this? What is this doing? You're actually heaping more burden on the people than than is good for them. And and so when he's saying like, this is what I want. I want what you're doing to actually loosen bonds of wickedness over one another and undo the bands of the yoke and to let the oppressed go free. (laughs) Jump in. I have a lot to say here. (laughs) Um, these first five verses are, are quite interesting. You know, we, we see hypocritical worship, various aspects of social injustice, uh, evil thoughts, inappropriate fasting. They're, they're present in, in nearly every generation. So it's, it's not just with what we're reading here in Isaiah. And it's easy to point fingers without honest, transparent self-assessment. And, uh, I'm kind of on, on this, this, uh, 
this path this week of, of self-assessment. But before you start to think too inwardly here, keep in mind that self-assessment can be applied to you and those you're in oneness with. And, and that means that the honest and transparent self-assessment we're talking about here is pointed at the body of Christ. So in this chapter, Isaiah 58, they're wrestling with a, a misunderstanding about what God was doing or not doing among his people. Some people believe that they were faithfully worshiping God, but were not uh, being appropriately rewarded for all the, the, the pious efforts that they were putting out. And you could see in, in verse three, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. Uh, in response, God instructs Isaiah to, to remind uh, the Israelites that a special divine blessing does not naturally flow from God to people who do not desire to please God in all areas of their lives. The, the well-being of the, the whole community and, and thinking in oneness now is interrelated to the righteous behavior of each individual person within the community. This is why I'm saying that oneness needs to, to, to really remain at the forefront of our minds before we start thinking too, too inwardly. Uh, and, and yes, it, it does sound like entitlement. Um, that, that is absolutely something that was going on here. They felt entitled to, to God performing when they yeah. perform. And, and, you know, if, if the people keep fasts and the Sabbath in the way God has directed them and don't focus on their own pleasures, then God will respond by revealing his presence. Their, their, their light will shine. Uh, healing and righteousness will be present and, and God will, will guide them into his kingdom. And, and this message in, involves a, a correction of those who, who have misunderstood God's just ways of dealing with them. They don't want to see that. And so these first five verses begin with God's plan to make known to the people their, their sins. Again, their, their pious behavior or false humility that comes across as, as we have it all together, we're doing the right things, and uh, that, that's the way it should be seen, is really contrasted with the reality that they have uh, abandoned the covenant and that just behavior just behavior is required of followers of the covenant. If these people are fasting in real humility that brings them closer to God, uh, then this should naturally impact their relationship with, with others. Yeah. Since, since God saw that this wasn't happening, uh, what the people were doing was, wasn't acceptable to him. And that's, that's really what he's laying out here. So Isaiah is not saying that, God rejects all acts of fasting. Instead, he's rejecting uh, the, the fast that has no impact on a person's relationship with God and with one another. Yeah. Uh, and you would think that these acts of, of repeatedly seeking God were the devoted acts of a righteous person who loves God and keeps his commandments. But, but obviously that wasn't the case. Uh, why are are the people here described as only being like 
some ideal nation that, that does these things. I think this suggests that they look like the people of God, but are not actually a righteous nation. The, the likeness is seen in the fact that the people were repeatedly asking God for righteous decisions and were, were repeatedly delighting in the nearness of God. Uh, but people, again, can look and act and talk and delight in the things of God, yet still not be the people of God. Uh, Jesus lays that out in Matthew 7. And, you know, a, a good moral, cultural Israelite knows how to act. He knows how to talk. He knows how to behave in religious circles. But knowing the cultural expectations of an Israelite is not the same as knowing God. Thinking about the ancient Israelite in these terms is like, it's like looking in a mirror and having modern Christianity reflected back to you. A good moral cultural Christian knows how to act, talk and behave in re religious circles. But knowing uh, the cultural expectations of a Christian is not the same as knowing God. Right. Why does God not take notice of our fasting? Why does God uh, not seem to know that we humbled ourselves before him possibly because we say one thing and live another if this if this lifestyle is is being rejected by younger generations it's it's not the gospel that's being rejected it isn't the the rigors of spiritual discipline it isn't discipleship unto jesus it's this dualistic nature plastered all over social media of those who refuse to repent be reconciled and and restored when they found themselves compromised in sin. Right. A house of repentance, reconciliation, and restoration uh, isn't going to be tolerant of sin. That house will call it out boldly and hold a standard of holiness uh, that is drenched in the fear of the Lord. Yes. Tol tolerance will not be permitted in the house of repentance, reconciliation, and restoration. There is a clear aim in this house, and that is to make disciples to Christ of the nations. And, and, and back to where I started, hypocritical uh, worship, various aspects of, of social injustice, uh, evil thoughts, uh, inappropriate fasting are areas of tolerance that lead to dangerous areas of sin. That births isolation and a fragmented and ineffective body. Yeah. Isaiah 58, it appears the, the hope was that God would notice the pain and sorrow uh, the people were expressing, uh, the, the self-denial they endured and their repentance. And after seeing the sincerity of the people's fast and their humility, it was expected that God would intervene in their lives and resolve the problems they were facing. That was the expectation. But this wasn't happening, even though the people were fasting. The attitude of the people questioning God uh, is hard to perceive, yet it's central to any effort to understand the questions. Are they asking why God has not acted yet and, and not really accusing God of some injustice? Are, are they bitterly complaining uh, about his apparent abandonment of them and uh, doing so in a time when they were facing a difficult problem? Or were they just expressing some disappointment that some earlier positive prophecies 
haven't yet been fulfilled. Uh, God could God could not establish a place of justice when their lives were so compromised or so corrupt. They they thought they could earn God's favor and blessing, but a, a little ritual fasting, you know, not done from from a heart, but but really coming from a place of duty or I performed God. Now it's your turn. It doesn't establish justice and righteousness in a community. It just isn't the way it works. The people do not really seem to be that much interested in justice. So how can God's just kingdom be established among them? The problem is not so much the failure of God's promises, but the failure of the people to understand how they must live if they if they want to participate in, in, a, in a just and righteous kingdom. Again, you have to ask, are you seeing modern Christianity in the mirror here? Performing some spiritual discipline with, with the motivation to get God to perform is so far outside of a house of repentance and reconciliation and restoration. There's no heart to connect when that is your motivation. Where is the pursuit of righteousness? Where's the longing for holiness? Where is the fear of the Lord? It's in that question where, where is the fear of the Lord that we should stop and and take stock of? If we can't find find it, then uh, we are operating outside of God's kingdom. And that's the starting place for our lifestyle that is going to, to operate not just out of talk, but out of power. And you can look at 1 Corinthians 4.20 for the, the kingdom of God is uh, does not consist of, well, I lost my place there, does not consist uh, in talk, but in power. Yeah. Um, if our goal is to have our voice heard and have God respond, then we must uh, integrate our faith uh, professions, uh, uh, those things that we declare that we believe our faith professions of humility and our desire to serve God, those have to go into our daily relationships with other people. Also, if our confession of delight in God is not real, like they're like the people in Isaiah 58 were saying they were delighting in God, but if it's not real, if it's not connected to a changed attitude, right. if, if the, the fasting does not lead to one to act differently, do, does the confession of delighting in God really mean anything at all. Mm-hmm. This is, these are the things that, that I think we have to really, this is why I say we have to do a self-examination of our motives. We have to be able to look at these things and, and really pinpoint what, what am I being motivated by here? And then carry that into oneness. What are we being motivated by here? Are, are, are we, uh, motivated by just drawing people in to count numbers. And I know we've talked about this before too. Uh, you know, what, what is the real motivation of, of our oneness? Is it to make disciples of the nation or is it something else? Right. So that, that this is where I'm, I'm at right now, especially this week, this, this self-evaluation, but not uh, uh, directly inward thinking, but uh, self-evaluation when I think of the body of Christ, when I think of the oneness of the people that I share life with. Right. Yeah. Where, where are we at as one? Because the, the weakest link 
has to be considered when you're when you're thinking in terms of a kingdom mindset. And um, I love that you brought up social justice because that is a huge thing within the the American church culture. And Marie, Chris, chime in if that is something that that because I'm just not sure like how how far spread this idea of social justice is in, in the church, but it's very much a thing in the American church, and and it's like. It's like loving, you know, and, and the thing is, is it's not, it's not the social justice that, that you're speaking of, or that Isaiah 58 is getting into. This is a social justice. It's a false sense of social justice, because let's just be honest. Jesus is social justice. Jesus is social justice, not my ability to relate with the demonic, my ability to be tolerant of witchcraft, my my ability to um, to tolerate or compromise in areas of sin. That's not social justice, but that is what we're seeing in in the American church. Is is that level of of social justice? And and Anne Marie, where did you say that? Oh, that that um, they want the blessings, but not the consequences of their actions. And I think that we quickly forget that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And so when we are laying hold of lingo like social justice, that sounds so premier but it's empty, it's void, and it leads to death if it is not Jesus. If he is not the standard of righteousness, the standard of holiness among us, we have nothing. We have nothing. We have uh, we have been wiped out completely if we are reaching for any other standard. And, and you're right, Anne-Marie, we seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all of these other things, the things that will actually promote kingdom life will be added to us. And, and so everything else is all the, the peripheral things we need to let go of because they're empty. They're not going, they don't bear enough weight to get us anywhere. And, and so this, this idea of social justice in the church, I mean, we are so compromised as, as the body of Christ to where, you know, we're, we're trying to be so relevant in, in the world that we're, we're practicing in things that we have no business being a part of. They, be in the world, but not of it. Now, I am not suggesting that that we put on self-righteousness. Know the difference between the righteousness that comes from spending time with the Holy One and self-righteousness, which is like, oh, well, I'm going to look the part and, and you know, direct my being in every potential angle so that I become relevant to those around me. You're not supposed to be relevant to the lesser things of the world. You are supposed to be setting a standard. Your very life should be setting a standard of what the kingdom is all about. And that's what he's that's what he's talking about here. This this Isaiah 58 conclusion is stop flowing in your ritualistic behaviors and do something of worth. And and we also I think we get caught up in the idea 
that that God speaking is his approval. It's not. God speaking is not his approval of our actions. I think every time self-righteousness is mentioned, Chris is compelled to vomit. <laughs> I don't blame him. And I think that so often we think that, um, you know, what is self-righteousness uh, or what we think is righteousness is really self-righteousness. And then we're putting self on display and not the kingdom at all. And it's a, it's a dangerous space to be in. And, and I agree with, with you and what Anne-Marie said that it, it isn't, it's spiritual entitlement that, um, that we, and, and ultimately pharisaical, you know, we're, we're asking other people to, to play a part that we're not willing to do ourselves. And, and we're just, we're role-playing. We're not actually entering in, in. Yeah, the, I, I love that you brought up the, the wages of sin is death. I had to look up the, the definition of that because every time I think about this, I think about what it is we earn through our actions, what what it is that's that's being returned to us. So uh, in here, it's it's one of the definitions is recompense or return and used in a sentence is the wages of sin is death. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, the return of of our actions is is really what we should be expecting if if you want god to agree with you when, when he talks be obedient you know he, he calls us out to do certain things be obedient to that it's it's not um i want to say it's not difficult it's only difficult if we want to make it difficult right if if we don't want to commit 100 percent into what it is that, that God is calling us into, what it is that he's asking us to do, then we are, are going to, to wind up in that place where uh, the, the wage, when he speaks, what's coming back to us is, is not going to be uh, life. Yeah. And, and uh, gosh, the, the, the self-righteousness piece that is just plastered all throughout Isaiah 58. This mm -hmm. is exactly what is going on here. And, and they don't care about what it is that is, is relevant to the kingdom. And, and I'm so convicted by this because, because of what we're seeing going on in the body of Christ. It, it is, it is, stop being so individualistic and, and being yeah. so isolated and, and really step into community, really step into oneness. And the, the self-righteous behavior, if, if the motivation of, of people coming into oneness is not self-righteousness, it is not self-serving and not selfish, but selfless for the kingdom, worshiping God for God, doing works out of response to what it is that Jesus did for us, the, the, these things are going to start to, uh, to not be so manifest uh, among us, and, and we're not going to see so much division Right. And infighting. Uh, maybe we can get to the point of healthy debate and, and start to to look at some of these things that aren't really relevant to to salvation in, in a manner where it's not dividing. But it, it's just, hey, how can we think better about this? Yeah. And and, and really get away from this. Um, yeah, we're, we're building the kingdom, not for 
for ourselves. That, that's absolutely right. And I think we often forget that because we have so for so long talked about the individual. And and is there still an individual aspect? Yeah, because you need to be uh, uh, in relationship with Jesus. Uh, but that is is brought into oneness. And, and yeah. if you are doing so and you aren't serving rightly, there are people there to hold you accountable because they see it. Right. And, and we, we've got to get to this point where where that is possible. Yeah. But we have we can't hold back ourselves. We can't hold back ourselves from God and we can't hold back ourselves from one another. And, and right. we we ignore God and hide from people. So it, it's it's gotta stop. Yeah, or vice versa. <laughs> hide from God and ignore the people. <laughs> right. I mean, it could be interchangeable, I suppose. It totally so. is. It totally is. Because I think that, that you know, we would be lying if we said we're not hiding from God in, in some regard. It's it's the age old reaction mm-hmm. of um, of choosing a lesser path is to think we can hide from God, which, you know, we, we also have to realize is impossible. You know, mm-hmm. Adam and Eve thought they were hiding from God. Okay. And and he played along. Cool. Sorry, bro. <laughs> yeah. He's like, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It always reminds me of playing hide and seek with a toddler. You know, they they're hiding in plain sight. Um, and that's what we're doing, you know, when we yeah. are withholding from God. And, and let me, let me, I want to touch on something because I, I, Yvonne, you're right. You know, there is so much pride in the mix here. And, um, and when we are, when we are hiding, we are withholding, we are withholding from God and we are withholding from the bride of Christ, from the body of Christ. Right. And, um, and, and I think so often is what happens, um, prior to a fall is is getting mixed up in a, a prideful stance and refusing to shift. And, and in the refusal to shift, we are withholding from the body of Christ. And I'm not going to get too deep into this because I'm planning on talking about this tomorrow on the Prophets oh. Club. <laughs> but um you know God was just showing me that that he's 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 looking he's looking to be able to to utilize the body in any way that he wants to you know he he wants to be able to shift and move um the body and use the different aspects of the body without having to deal with perforations we we have created perforations in the body of Christ and that is man's doing not God's he 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 wants to be able to to lay hold of a teacher and a prophet and mush them together and use them in a satisfying way for his glory. And we're like, oh, but here's the line, God. (laughs) And there's boundaries that you must, you know, uh, live by because that's how we understand it as the church. We have created dividing lines that were never his idea. And Yes. yes, Chris, I'm looking forward to it too. It'll be, it'll be fun. Um, so I, I think that we've got to, to be a little bit more mindful about boundary lines that we've created. Now, David proclaims, God, your boundary lines for me have fallen in 
pleasant places, lofty places, beautiful places, whatever your translation says. And, and I think that we like to echo the sentiment to God in a slight perversion. God, my boundary lines have fallen for you. <laughs> in pleasant places. And, and so we've gotten this a little bit confused and, um, and it's pride. It's, it, it's, it's no different than, than the, the ultimate sin of Lucifer rising up against God saying, I can do what you do. And, and I'm saying to God, I can do what you do. Fall in line, fall in line with my, my perfect, my perfectly perforated edges. And, um, and he's like, God isn't interested in our idea of perfection. He's just not, he, he wants to be able to, to do things the way that he wants to do them. And, yeah. and our idea of, of perfect is actually creating confusion. It's, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's stepping into pride and arrogance and it is, the the beginning of great falls and and we're seeing that we're seeing that because i believe that there was a shift required for the house of prayer and and when we hold tightly to to who we are for all time mm-hmm. and we don't continue to transfigure before the lord we are withholding from him we are withholding from him and he's the one that's worthy. I'm not the one that's worthy. And when we withhold from him and, and, and disallow him to transition us into new days, we keep ourselves tied to old paradigms. And I think that Anne Marie said this earlier, like we keep hanging on things that he's like stripping away. And, and there's a, a song right now that just speaks volumes to me. Strip it all away. Strip it all away, God. Just strip it all away. And 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 don't let me hang on to things that are actually going to end up being the wages of sin. Because when we withhold from God, we refuse to shift. We have found ourselves in the midst of sin. Amber, your question, how do we know we have created the right boundaries when they align with God's boundaries that he set for us? <laughs> yeah that's uh, i mean that, that's the only way i can look at that uh the the boundaries were set like andrew was talking about wind up with these perforations and we like these nice neat little boxes and and don't want to cross over here <laughs> yeah it, it sounds like a simple answer i know uh but it, that that really is the case it, it, it's his boundary lines that have fallen in pleasant places for us not mine that he approves of Right. Uh, so I, I think that's just something we have to keep in mind. Right. Well, and the thing is, is I, we we tend to create boundaries from trauma and pain. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and so boundaries that that are not created from kingdom principles are going to fail you. So be sure that you're not creating boundary lines that come straight out of your pain and your strong, your trauma, because that's not going to serve you and it's not going to serve the kingdom of God. It's actually going to hold you hostage yep. to what has happened to you. And we're seeing this a lot where that the narrative is leading the way and, yeah. and it's not that the, it's not the voice of God that's leading the way. It's the narrative of this is what has transpired in my life. Therefore, I can't live in fullness. 
because this always happens or, you know, it's the always never narrative and that's not helpful for anyone. And I think that we can, like, if we just continue reading here, we can see some kingdom principles starting in verse six. Is this not the fast that I choose to loosen the bonds of wickedness? So do your boundary lines loosen the bonds of wickedness to undo the bands of the yoke and to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread to the hungry and to bring the wandering poor home when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your recovery will speedily spring forth and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of Jehovah will guard you from behind. I love that. Then you will call and Jehovah will answer. You will cry out and he will say, here I am. So if your if your boundary lines don't line up with this, mm-hmm. they're not, they're, they're, they're boundary lines that you have set to self-protect. And remember, yeah. it's not about you. Learn from your trauma, learn from your pain. I'm not saying that. Don't dismiss any of that. Listen to me. Learn from your pain, but do not put up boundary lines based on your pain. You've got to utilize the plumb line of the kingdom of heaven to create boundary lines mm-hmm. so that we can hear the answer of God, so that we can hear him say, oh, wait, hold on. Here I am. Like you, you, you did what I said, like, here I am. And, and, and everybody gets to benefit from boundary lines that are based on kingdom principles. Yeah. Yeah, if, if we are using pain and trauma to set boundaries, that keeps you from oneness. And, and then, like it says in verse seven, when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, you're hiding yourself yeah. in boundaries. And that's often what's happening. And, and if we are really going to see houses of repentance uh, where people aren't hiding, where they're coming out and repenting, actually, see a house of reconciliation where people are, are reconciled, not removed, not taken away and, and hidden away where, where we can't see them. So they can, they can be made right uh, uh, in, in isolation. If, if we're going to be a house of restoration, we are not shunning people. We are actually bringing them back into oneness to say, this is where you belong. You don't belong outside of oneness. You belong in oneness. And, and the, that has to be a boundary also. And, and, I, and I believe, I, I do believe that is a boundary that God is setting up or has set up, I should say, yeah. is, is oneness. Mm-hmm. And, and to be within that boundary, not outside of it. Because we see uh, uh, the, the sin that can run rampant outside of oneness and what that causes. And, and ultimately the wage that is received from that. Yeah. And so... Uh, repentance, reconcilia- reconciliation, restoration. These can't just be uh, the, the, the Christian words that we know how to say in the Christian uh, circles so yeah. we, we can act and, and look the part, but we actually are living these things, actually drawing one another back in. If people don't want to be drawn back in, that, that's, that, that's not something we can force. However, right. We're not leaving them out there. We're holding people accountable. We're, we're attempting to pull them in because this is this is the kingdom. The yeah. kingdom is we are one body of Christ. Yes. We're not a bunch of individual little bodies running around. 
Right. We need to, we need to come back together and, and, yes. and maintain that mindset. Yeah, for sure. And so let's just, let's, let's keep reading here. Yeah. Um, if you re- remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness. And if you draw out your soul to the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness and your gloom will be like midday and Jehovah will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in the dry times and strengthen your bones. And you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not deceive. And those who are of you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the foundations of generation upon generation, and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the paths in which to dwell. I want to point to scandal for just a second. We have got to stop shying away from scandal. Scandal is opportunity for repentance. Scandal is opportunity for reconciliation. Scandal is opportunity for what is it? Restoration. Restoration. And redemption. <laughs> and and so I, I think that when when scandal arises and we have a flesh response to that. We're in error. We aren't rising up the way that we should, and we're not seeing the light breaking through that darkness. I think that one of the greatest things that a leader could do in a moment of scandal is to simply say, God, I'm sorry. God, I missed it. God, I messed up. We see scandal throughout the Bible scandal at every turn, the story upon story upon story of scandal. Jesus's lineage is made up of scandal. But these are men and women of God who knew how to turn and face Jesus. David is the perfect example. Listen, this man, corrupt. I know I know we have painted him in a completely different light. He is corrupt. He is likely a rapist. This is sexual scandal at its best. And not only that, he tried to cover it up by having her her husband killed. This This is deep sin. But David's response in the moment of being caught in the, the, the apex of a scandal turns to God. And this is why we love him. This is why we love him. It's because David is found turning to God. And then we have to look at when he's, when he's caught taking a census you know, both times, both times that David gets himself in such a world of trouble. He, he's a king and he's supposed to be at war <laughs> and, and not. He's withholding himself. We already talked about that. He's withholding himself from what he's supposed to be doing and, and gets himself in trouble. And on the backside of, of, of taking the census, God's like displeased with him. And he gives him three options of, of his uh, punishment. And, and David's response in that is, 
I would rather fall into the hands of God. Mm-hmm. He's not hiding. We don't find David hiding. We find him turning and facing God in these moments of scandal. And so I think one of the greatest things that we could do for our union, for the, the, the oneness of the body of Christ, is to turn and face God full on. <laughs> so the, the, is heater the, can is the heater is too loud. I'm sure that was the question, right? It is. So, um, so anyway, I just, I, I think that there's opportunity in, in the midst of, of all of this. And guys, can we please stop throwing the baby out with the bathwater? Hmm. Just because somebody's been caught in sin does not mean that they have missed it their entire life. It doesn't mean that, that you yeah. are dirty because yeah. you sat under them. Mm-hmm. There is, okay, I, I need to tell you about an encounter that I had. This is probably going to go long. It's fine. Listen, it's Thanksgiving Eve. We can do what we want. Um, <laughs> I, I, was, I was walking out in, in our, our backyard, and the backyard has multiple walnut trees, black walnut trees out there. And, um, and, and this was just like a month ago and, and we had had some cold weather that caused everything to dry up. And so leaves are falling and whatnot. And as I'm walking out there, I become very aware of walnuts hitting the ground. Now these walnuts are big. They're not just like little tiny things. They're big. And if, if you were to get hit on the head, it would hurt. And so I'm like under these walnut trees and you can just hear them just thunk, thunk, thunk. And not just in our yard, but in in the yards surrounding. And so I'm like, oh, I should probably get out of here. This is dangerous. And God's like, keep walking. (laughs) And and so I did. I kept walking and I figure if God's with you, you can't get hurt. And, um, and, and, but it was so fascinating to me because God immediately started talking to me about fruit falling. And, and I knew what he was talking about. I, he was like, there, there are mature trees in the body of Christ. Mature trees. They have been standing for a long time. And what you and I fail to look at is the price that these mature trees have paid. Irregardless of being caught in scandal, these mature trees have paid a lofty price to stand where they are. And God is telling me, talking to me about the impact of the fruit that is falling from these trees. And I knew, I knew the moment that this recent scandal came out, I knew that what God was talking to me about in the backyard with the walnuts falling and this scandal had everything to do with each other, that we are not to dismiss the fruit because there was a price, a right price paid to bear the fruit in the first place and that that fruit would seep into the ground because right now the ground is covered in walnuts that aren't being harvested and so they're just going to fall into the ground and and they're going to they're going to um, act as as a fertilizer for that ground so all of this fruit spiritually speaking all of this fruit is just saturating the ground right now and god is a God that has perfect sight. And he is capable of rightly dividing. Are you capable of sitting under his justice? 
Are you capable of sitting under his judgment and agreeing with him when scandal arises? That's a great question. That is a great question. I love how you keep pulling redemption, pulling that word in there. And when I, when I think about that word, I, I think about being redeemed in Christ. It was Christ's act on the cross that brought us into redemption. And we need to look at each person, each believer in that way. This is somebody that, that Christ went to the cross for. Right. And in, in this scandal, and in, in, in especially with these mature trees that, that you're talking about, there was a price paid. So yeah. how far are we willing to go to, to see these people repent, to then bring them back in and reconcile them and, and see restoration happen, to see them put back upright rather than then take this this mature tree and hack it down and let it rot that's that is not what we are looking at but we are talking about a house of repentance reconciliation and restoration we are not talking about uh, rot we are talking about life and and that is what we were brought into in in the death and resurrection of Jesus yeah and I, I don't want us to forget that. And, and it speaks to oneness because it is, it is going to take a lot of people to make that happen, to see that, that come about. It just can't be, uh, um, oh, I cut out again. I can still hear you. Anyways, it, it just can't be left to that single person. It, it, it is... Oh, okay, good. It's going to take oneness. And so, um, yes, Emory, you've come to give life and life in abundance. And life in abundance. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, love, and, and, I love you bringing redemption into that. Yeah. I, and I am not suggesting that we tolerate or excuse sin. That's not what I'm saying. So this isn't like, you know, ooey gooey grace that we're talking about. We're, we're combining the two. We're taking grace and, and we're taking justice and, and we're seeing how can they work together? How do these two coincide? And um, so it's not like, you know, I'm saying that there, there shouldn't be um, there shouldn't be a um, a process of reconciliation because there should, there should, mm -hmm. and um, and Absolutely. but if we want to if we want to see this kind of stuff that is laid out in in um, Isaiah fifty eight, the bonds of wicked wickedness loosened to to see um, the light rise in the darkness, we need to make some better allegiances with God. We need to make some better um, allegiances, honestly, with our own doctrine, what we actually believe. And, yeah. or, or we're not, we're not going to see these things happen. Yeah. We're just, we're not. And I, I want, I want to be part of those who get to rebuild the ancient ruins. Yeah, I do. I want us to, to be party to that. 
and and to offer the Lamb of God what He's so worthy of. And and we can't do that if we're looking in one direction only. If we're not capable of seeing the full slate of what God is capable of, we're not going to see these things happen. Because if yeah. we look at if we look at a human with our eyes of flesh, all we're going to want to do is slaughter them. Mm -hmm. it's, all we want to, it's a smear campaign. That's all we want to do. But if we can hold a line, a kingdom line, we can see and say, that is sin. Mm -hmm. And God has a response. God has a response. Yes, the offender has to pay for his crime, but mercy is just punishment and reflection to ourselves. Yeah, I, I, I think that we just, we need to sit longer, don't we? Yeah, we do. We need to sit longer under the counsel of God and not just have knee-jerk responses to everything. Mm -hmm. We think we know so much, but we don't. And, and stop defining justice and grace by our own terms and, and let God define them. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't know. I don't know how God wants to handle it. And we we love to, we, we want the cookie cutter response, right? Well, this is how it happened for that person. So this is how it must be for this. Uh-uh. God didn't make us from a cookie cutter. He spoke us from the depth of his creativity. And he knows what is going to be the, the ingredients that create the turn. God wants us to turn and face him, turns out. It, it's He's not rejecting us. He's wooing us to himself. And, and so... The best thing we could do in, in situations like this, let's enter into a right fast. Mm -hmm. You know, let's pray the things that Jesus is actually praying. He He lives to intercede before the yeah. Father. Can we just enter into His flow of intercession and just, if we're gonna, if we're gonna parrot stuff, let's parrot the intercession <laughs> of Christ. Yes. Yes. Let's do that. So, you know what? Y'all go read the rest of Isaiah 58 for yourself. I think we've said what we need to say. There's only a couple verses left and then read 59 too. Oh my gosh. Yes. Read 59. Mm -hmm. This is good stuff. Good stuff, guys. Thanks for joining with us. And um, we won't be back on on Friday because it's thanksgiving it's thanksgiving here in america if you didn't hear my announcement up front <laughs> tomorrow is our thanksgiving which is why we have such a hard time decorating prior to december for christmas is what i'm talking about and so you know tomorrow's going to be a big day for us at our house we're going to celebrate thanksgiving and we're decorating for christmas so Fun. happy american thanksgiving to you all we love you. <laughs>